This is gonna be fun. Just so we're clear, Ben, this is not a competition. This we'd like to welcome our listeners back to who's a better pastor. No, <laughs> no, this is not a competition. This is a discussion. A discussion for the discipling benefit of our congregation. And I'm a little bit at a disadvantage because you chose the topic. And then I literally had, you've been thinking about this for hours and I literally had five minutes, but I think that I still hold the, uh, upper hand. That's potential. You know, there's with all of your accumulated wisdom over your many years of living on this earth. <laughs> uh, but I will remind you, you did say, Hey, I want you to pick up something and, uh, try and figure out what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Well, but no, let's, let's, let's be fair. <laughs> let's be fair that with this podcast, I do try. I want the to be incredible, um, forethought and, um, show prep that goes into each episode is daunting for the normal. Well, human. I remember back at the beginning of the semester when we were trying to run these titles by the producer of the show and, uh, we just squeaked this one in and, uh, you know, j- just made it past uh, the pre-production process. Well, and I feel bad that we have not given our producer any credit. But that's where it needs to remain. Joe, you um, are the producer. The title of the podcast today is Five Books. Top five. Top five books on the life and work of Christ. Person and work of Christ. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. It's important. We're talking quite a bit about the person of Christ in the series on John. And uh, you looking at my collection? I'm already? looking at that one that you have up front that I did not think of. Should have. We have the same book. We do have an overlap. Let's go. Okay, but that's right. We're doing this because in the Gospel oh, of John, and you have the other one that I okay, wanted stop to it, do. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! You're spoiling. Man. Spoiling. In the Gospel of John, the person work of Christ is coming up quite a bit. It's preeminent. Yep. Um, <laughs> Just a little bit Christ, because it's the, called the, the Gospel. Of, yeah, the <laughs> oh, Gospel God. according to John. It's all about Jesus, and uh, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Yep. John has a distinct Christological purpose. All of the gospel writers do, but John has a pretty driven theological agenda, I think you would say, um, yep. in his gospel. And so as we're doing this, this is coming up quite a bit in the life and ministry of our church. And so we want to talk about this because we love talking about the personal work of Christ. We also love talking about books that we're reading. We, yes. uh, All of us in our congregation have different abilities and opportunities for reading. We are not suggesting that everybody needs to live on the same level of reading because God's given all of us different opportunities depending on our stage of life, depending mm-hmm. on our interests, depending on availability and opportunity and uh, all of these different things. What we do encourage all of our members, though, is to be faithful in taking steps of growth in their understanding of Scripture, whatever that That's may right. mean. Well, and I also want to recognize that there are some books that we may hold as reference works that if a person were to sit down, if if they are not extremely interested in the topic or motivated to study the topic and read some of these books, it's, they're going to be a very, very difficult read. Right. You know, and so some of these are books to sit down and read through conceptually. Others are dealing with a very specific topic that are good to have in case the topic comes up that you can read. 
and other ones yet are still reference works that maybe you'll reference uh, yeah, throughout really the rest of your life. What's really fun is, you know, there's uh, a pretty big movement following even on media platforms like YouTube and such that uh, people go through and uh, like really serious readers will go through and do videos on explaining different levels of reading mm-hmm. and how to apply different kinds of reading to yep. different kinds of books. And that may be a brand new concept for some people right. like, boy, I didn't know there was more than one way to read a book. And right. uh, in fact, there is. And it actually, as I've started to take on some of those ideas as well, it's really helped me to be more efficient. All that to say. Well, look, can I say one more thing on that? Yeah. Um, I love interrupting you right in the middle of a thought. You know, it's, you'll never get it back. Um, the, <laughs> I love it so much. Thank I, you. I was gonna, on, on that topic of what you were just saying, I think it's important because I was very frustrated early on in reading um, on Christian books. And I, I remember very specifically being frustrated with the book Mere Christianity because I was used to only reading novels mm-hmm. and stories. Sure. And so I had a hard time recognizing the difference between reading a book that's, that is presenting a certain concept, maybe from three different directions or a line of argumentation. Right. And, and if I would have just, if somebody would have said, oh, no, no, you need to read this differently than, than reading a novel. No, you need to read this and, and recognize that he's building a case throughout his book right. and try to follow his line of reasoning or argumentation. Then you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Anytime there's nonfiction involved, there's a, a much more active uh, role that your brain has to play in following yep. it. Otherwise, you're just going to get bored out of your mind. Yep. I remember making that switch as well from fiction to nonfiction, and it was rough. I had yep. to really slug my way through a few yep. books. Um, but the more you do it, it's a learned skill. There's hope yep. for it. Just because it doesn't, uh, it's not an awesome experience the very first time doesn't mean that there aren't good books out there like that. Or even reading uh, like biographies or autobiographies right. and in these works that we're talking about. Okay, let's so, let's launch in. What were you going to say? Well, just to summarize. We think that reading is an excellent way to build your knowledge of Scripture. That's right. But all that we expect is that people are faithful to do steps of growth. That's Take right. continued steps of growth throughout your life, however long God gives yeah. you on earth. Just keep taking steps of growth in your understanding right. of Scripture. Worst case scenario, you buy a bunch of books and they sit on a shelf and you look smart. <laughs> and then sometimes on a rainy day, one of your relatives is hanging out with you and you both get bored and, and somebody pulls a book off book. a right. book off the shelf, reads a few pages yep. and learns something. Or you will be sitting there one day and you'll go, man, that book looks really interesting. Right. And you'll pick it up and you'll read it and you go, I'm so glad maybe that your I children, had this. Maybe your grandchildren. Right. I remember some significant books in my life was just me perusing my grandfather's bookshelf and pulling some things off. Okay. Now, here's what I'd like to do. As we, as we start going through this, we're going to tag team and go back and forth on this. Because it's a competition. No, it's just not a competition. And I would like to stay away from ranking them like least important to most important. That's a weak sauce uh, way to start. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Well, we're for sure, sure going to rank them. <laughs> there's, I think, no, there's no podcast I think It's just a couple of guys saying, I like this. Because, no, 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 no. no. Oh, here, this I, is America. I have, I, <laughs> we're going to rank them the things okay okay so you someone has qualifications someone has qualifications, to win but you've well, got to make the call what i just have put in the five i have slot? i have books that serve a different purpose so here's what i'm gonna that. do i understand that I, across purposes <laughs> you gotta write okay them. i am going to um we're gonna start with five yes we're gonna start with five and i feel really bad doing this but i'm gonna bring out a book that you probably have never heard of is it because you're so old and it's an old book like you? No, it's called The Life of Christ in Stereo. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I hate that title. 
<laughs> There's nothing about that title that appeals no, to me. No, listen. Um, the reason that this is so cool okay, is I'm going to win on five, though. This is... No, you can't. Explain because the book. Explain the book. This is a harmony of the Gospels. Oh, interesting. So it's, why it's wouldn't taking... It's ta- I know. Why wouldn't it... Well, it does say... Who's it by? The Author. Four Gospels Speak in Harmony. The Life of Christ in Stereo by... By Johnston Cheney. Okay. When was it first published? How old is it? 69. 1969. Yeah, and it was never republished. Like, as far as I know, this isn't in print anymore. Um, I actually got this as a recommendation from somebody in our church when oh. I was preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, oh, it does says fifth printing, 1979. So I guess it was printed more than once. Um, but this is really interesting because you can go to a specific passage of Scripture but it's by like um, it'll say the hour of the power of darkness, and it'll go through the different um, pericopes, mm. all aligned from the different passages of scripture from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then when they're also um, lined out in John. Now, this is not but an original idea. Other people have done harmonies. Of the other people before. have done the harmonies. But what's interesting about this is that this gives you the entire life of Christ from all four gospels. Cool. Like you read it cover to cover, you get the entire life of Christ. That's awesome. It's really fascinating. Yeah. The reason I say it's hard to put this number five because it's it's scripture. Right. It's scripture. But it's been arranged and it is for a specific Correct. purpose and Correct. very good. All right. So there's your number five. And My another reason five. why it's number five because it has quite possibly the worst cover of any book I've ever seen. Yeah, just give it a few years. It'll come back. It's terrible. It'll come back. Very dated. Okay, and I got it for sale for a dollar. So I've been hyping on this competition, but I will admit my list isn't perfect. And one of the indications of that is I have the same author twice, but again, it's for Boo. different purposes. Boo. Different purposes. But this is solidly in my number five spot. This is uh, Christ Alone, the Uniqueness of Jesus as Savior, What the Reformers Taught, Why It Still Matters. So if you were just to look this up on Amazon, you would just search Christ Alone. It is by Steve. Stephen Wellam, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Wellam. And what he does is uh, he goes through the doctrine of the person of Christ from a theological perspective, talks about the identity of Christ, talks about the biblical witness to Christ in various um, uh, arenas, uh, but he also talks about the ministry of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, talks about the substitution, the doctrines, and then he specifically ties it to how this doctrine was held and taught going all the way back to the Reformation and how it differs from the Roman Catholic understanding of the same doctrine, which makes it a fantastic resource, not just for understanding church history, but I think particularly in our context for understanding how our uh, view of the person and work of Christ differs substantially from the view of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. So this sits at number five, great combination of systematic theology and historical theology. Stephen Wellam, Christ Alone, number five. Number four, I have um, a author from the 1800s, 1700s, earlier than that. Crumaker is his name. Uh and this is a series of devotionals, devotional meditations on the person of Christ and the story of Christ called The Suffering Savior. Suffering Savior by... By F.W. Crummaker, K-R-U-M-M-A-C-H-E-R. This has been very encouraging for me. Let me tell you where I got this. This was, a, this was actually a gift given to me because I was at a conference where Colin Smith, who's the pastor of 
uh, the Orchard Church in Chicago. He, he speaks uh, with the Gospel Coalition, different things anyway. He was speaking there, and he u- he referenced this book, and he used one of these medi- gospel meditations on the life of Christ as an illustration in Psalm 23. Hmm. And uh, it's produced by Banner of Truth, and um, and I actually heard his his illustration of this, the way that he phrased Christ's suffering with the shadow, not to be afraid of the shadow of death. I will hmm. fear no evil, right? Yeah. And uh, and I was so taken by that that I asked him, what book was that from? And he referenced this, and then uh, someone who's there with me ended up getting this for me as a gift, and it has been, oh, here we go, yeah, 18, 1800s, early 1800s. Um, we love old books, don't we? Oh, yeah. And uh, Spurgeon gives his stamp of approval of outstanding value, which should be enough. Um, <laughs> Spurgeon says, I like it. So Spurgeon says it's good. But um, th- these are really, they're short. Yeah. So like each each one is maybe um, four pages, maybe five pages. And they're meditations on the life of Christ and the person of Christ. And there are, let's see how many chapters here. There are 53 chapters. Um, so it's a short, shorter book. It, it's a long book, you know, uh, close to 500 pages. But... Um, each chapter is short and is a, uh, man, just been a huge encouragement to me on meditation specifically on um, the crucifixion week, hmm. the passion week. We have to have so, devotionals like that yeah, we do. in our libraries. This is Not just for yeah. pastors, but just Christians. We need to be encouraged by Jesus himself, and books yep. like that can help do that for us. Can I give you a, uh, a really gross illustration of what this book is? If you must. <laughs> My child one time was very young and just learning to eat food and we didn't have any baby food. So what I did was I put the food in my mouth and I chewed it up really well and spit it back on the spoon and then fed it to my child. That's okay. kind of a confessional moment here. Um, Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. This book is someone taking scripture and chewing it up and and ringing gospel truth theological depth hmm. and then putting it on the page for us to read so it's like premeditated premed or post meditated scripture right yeah you know it's yeah. it's scripture that's or, or a specific thought in the passion week that's chewed on and rung it's a very like uh, simple shepherding of the heart yeah yeah yeah, very good. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, need, so that's number four. Like that. Okay, so my number four, not in a devotional realm, but um, again, more of a theological realm, but one that's encouraging to me and has shed so much light on my understanding of the person of Christ. It's a book that's a series of articles. It's called Retrieving Eternal Generation, edited by Fred Sanders and Scott Swain. D.A. Carson has an absolutely incredible chapter in here, an article on... Uh, John 5, 26, as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. And the idea of Jesus being the only begotten, we kind of went through in uh, conservative evangelicalism kind of a debate on what it means for Jesus to be monogenes. And this book was really influential for helping me come down and land on a position regarding the uh, uh, the position of eternal generation and how the Son relates to the Father within the divine essence. So, Retrieving Eternal, re- eternal Generation, Retrieving Eternal generation. Very, very helpful book mm-hmm. from really solid biblical scholars um, who I think shed a lot of light on the Son as he relates to the Trinity. And that's not the relationship of the Son with the Father. 
but it's the relation of the Son and the Trinity and being begotten. Yeah, the the eternal uh, the eternal procession of the Son. I am going to boom. Oh, also look at look at number three. Look also Trinitarian. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on that same um, vein. By the way, since uh, I just want to interrupt you real quick, I hope you don't mind. No, I won't. Uh, I won't but, forget so for my train of five and four. Just so we're clear for the audience, I definitely won those. Uh, no So way. number five, I won. Are you kidding me? Far and away, just by cover design alone, I won. Um, and then, <laughs> well, by first of all, one content, of mine was written in the low 1800s, which is awesome. Very which, cool. And it has survived to today. Both of those books probably will not survive for the next 150, 200 years. We'll see. So just so we're clear, I definitely won number four. You may have won number five. I tell you what, you take number five, I'll take number four. I think we'll let our listeners decide on number four, but I did win number five. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> number three, Simply Trinity. Uh, a lot of people in our book, and our book, a lot of people in our church have read Delighting in the Trinity. Yes. Um, that is, in my, in my opinion, and I told somebody this the other day, Delighting in the Trinity is top five books for life to read. In this era of Christianity. In this area of Christianity, yeah, of like modern books. Yes. Like if you're going to say, okay, what books today shape your your view of God and your worship of God? Yeah. I would say that's top five hands down. Sure. Um, I think I would agree I think that. it's a must read. It's in our Christian living track, by the way. Yes, it community. is. Because it, it's that foundational is that if we could choose four or five books to read for Christian life, this would be one of them. And it's not... It's not a, I'm going to say it's not a practical book. It's not a book about doing things. It's a book about believing. And yet it bleeds over so clearly and easily to implications for life, wouldn't you say? Like the you just stole my, my, my sentence. Oh, it, was, it was just right it's, there. It's like we're thinking along the same lines, but I'm just a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> if you were, you'd get those words out a little faster. <laughs> Simply Trinity, fantastic. The reason that I think this is fantastic is because it takes the person of the Son and goes a little bit more in depth than um, delighting in the Trinity. In the person of Christ, it has both eternal generation in here and talking about um, the Son being eternally begotten of the Father, and it deals with eternal functional subordination, hmm. which is also a big question, big controversy, huge controversy right now. Yeah. It also, I mean, this is why there's no chance of you winning number three. Just the hat so you know. trick right there. Huh? Uh, it also deals with um, the doctrine of inseparable operations. So those three aspects find themselves in the person and work of Christ beat number three. I dare you. Don't, you're not, you, that was not number three it originally. Number three, no, it, it wasn't. From the that was the top five. Well, that's four, my three, two, one. That's my number two. So you want to do number three and I'll do number two at the same but time. But you know what this means? Since that's your number two, then this obviously beats your <laughs> number three pretty easily. Cause if this, no, this was a toss up. This was <laughs> a toss up. I'm going to switch that simply Trinity's number two. number two. We'll do number three so together. Number three we'll, as well. We'll do, so I've won, I've won five. This I is not a competition three by logic. Clearly, this is not. We have the same book, but he has his at number two. I have mine at number three, which means I have to win at number three if he has any chance of winning at number two. We'll okay. see what happens. With okay, that. so here's what we're gonna do. God You're gonna introduce this. This is your number three, my number two. So go ahead. And go. By the way, I gave you that copy. I hope you know. Yes, you did. I did. Yes, you did. Uh, God, because uh, I got it for free. <laughs> 
I had a duplicate. I was like, I'll pass this on the so, drinks to Joe. So you're going to do your number three, and then you're going to do your mine. number two. Okay, because this good. is your number three and my number two. Sounds good. All right, so God the Son incarnate, the doctrine of Christ. This is from the series by Crossway, Foundations of Evangelical Theology. This is by Stephen Wellham. It's edited, the whole series by John Feinberg. This is intended to be a single-volume Christology. So in if you think about systematic theology, we divide systematic theology up into several different headings under which we study. Christology is the study of Christ. Ten headings? Um, seven to ten, depending on who you are and mm-hmm. where you are. Uh but anyway, so you have the person of Christ, and that typically occupies anywhere from one chapter in a systematic theology to four or five chapters in a systematic theology. Yep. God the Son incarnate is meant to be a standalone volume that just deals with that particular doctrine. So its strength is that it intends to be pretty comprehensive. It tries mm-hmm. to cover all the bases. It's a little bit more academic, so I read this primarily as a reference work. That's what I was about to say. It's, um, it's not like a devotional material so much, but the information... It's really helpful to have a book like this to know when you have questions about this, something that's not only going to give options, but it's going to argue for a particular persuasion and argue against other things. So number three, God the Son Incarnate by Stephen Wellham. Number two, God the Son Incarnate by Stephen Wellham. Uh, I agree with everything Ben said. It's an excellent reference work. That's why it's on number two on my list. But that does mean and I win number three. I just three. have a so the higher score is now view. Two to one. Two to one. I have a higher view of this, but go ahead. Two to one. Uh, is the score. And my number two um, is going to be a book called High King of Heaven. My number two automatically beats your number three. Go ahead. Your number two. You can make that case in a moment. We'll see. High King of Heaven, it's a book that is a series of articles. It's a ton of chapters, but really, really helpful articles that cover everything from who Christ is to what he did to practical implications for ministry. It's edited yeah, by John MacArthur. That's what I um, and, uh, you've that's got, a good book, by the way. It's, it's excellent. It's got a broad array of scholars who are uh, uh, teaching all sorts of things about Christ. Really, really helpful how Christ relates to the completion of the canon, Christ in the Old Testament, the culmination of the Old Testament. Testament, uh, the believer's witness to Christ, and uh, uh, the believer's relationships to Christ in other areas of Christianity. So this is a really helpful book for ministry and the applications for ministry and just getting a very well-rounded picture of Christology. Not quite as academic, but not less rigorous, I would say. Yeah, and can I see a, that? A good because array. Yeah. I, think, I don't think I actually own this book, but I, this is a really good book. I've read portions of this. These are... Um, yeah, these are essays, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of evangelical pastors have written uh, the contributions to this particular book. I've referenced mm-hmm. it quite a few times, found it very helpful. Uh, it's got some good stuff on like substitutionary atonement, uh, penal substitution is uh, uh, in there. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why a book like this is so helpful is because each article, each essay can stand on its own. And they're not super long. Which is why I found it really helpful, especially for studying. I don't have to read 100 pages to get my head around a concept. I can kind of go right to the information I want and get in and get out a little bit quicker. So I think the reason that one for me beats God the Son Incarnate is because I I end up using it more. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something I actually grab off the shelf more often than I do God the Son Incarnate uh, because the, the, the argumentation is not quite as nuanced, not quite as long, not quite as detailed. And so just for teaching and preaching purposes, that's a really helpful one for me to get in and get out of. I was going to say one of the ways this could work really well is a bedside book. Yeah. To read one a night or if you've got a few minutes, 
you know, to, um, to, to sit down and to read through something like this and just to build your knowledge of the person of Christ. Because the chapters are not super long. No. And they're not yep. written just to scholars. Like, it's not written super academically. I think somebody who's pretty driven could get through these chapters and learn quite a bit um, without, without uh, uh, losing steam on that particular book. So I think it's a really helpful one. I think it's really practical for ministry. So that's why that's sitting at number two. Okay, first of all, that does not beat out Wellam's God, the Son of Incarnate, just so we're clear. Number two, you win number three. I obviously win number two. That okay. means it's coming down to the last book. That's right. And and this last book, I think personally, I win. I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I see so. I, you're, I, I, that, that book that you've got for number one you is have good. not read. I have not. Uh, I've, pre- I've perused through that. Yeah, I, have. okay. I haven't read it, read it in depth, but I have per- perused through it. Yep. Okay. Number one. I'll go first. Go ahead. You know what? I have the record button, so I can just stop after I give my number one. <laughs> we'll never know. Okay, number one book, in my opinion, and I have it electronically, but I don't have it in, in or I couldn't find my paperback version version quickly because Ben only gave me five minutes to prep for this, was um, a book that John MacArthur wrote back in the eighties, right? This is this is this is an early book. Yeah, eighty eight. As a a foil to the um, the uh, easy believism, easy believism social yeah. gospel slash um, you know just pray this prayer, repeat this, repeat this prayer, and you'll be saved. Um, the revivalism, you could say, mindset not not revival, but revivalism mindset of just calling people forward, praying over them, and saying they're saved, and all these different things. And it's called the Gospel According to Jesus. What is authentic faith? And this uh, book is very divisive, and um, in the sense that uh, a, a person who is an easy believism person is going to reject this book because. It, it holds the person and work of Christ in an elevated sense, unlike any other book about the gospel that I have read. Now, I will tell you the reason why I think this blows your number one out of the water is because when you say number one book on the person and work of Christ, the person and work of Christ is the gospel. That's what you're embracing when you embrace the gospel. Okay, but here's the deal, Joe. And, and there is no other book, in my opinion, that better explains the basics of the gospel than this. And so I'll drop it, and then I'll turn off the... the uh, okay, no, first of all, your kidding. book does not blow mine out of the water. However, that book is an excellent book, and it's well worthy of being a number one on somebody's list. And I'm happy for it to be <laughs> number one on your list. <laughs> That book will be somewhere in greater Christendom. It's probably a number one somewhere. For somebody. For, for some somebody. Pumpkin. <laughs> no, it's a it's a classic in its own right. Uh, for our generation, it was pretty foundational for a yes. whole generation of pastors in their theology of ministry and of preaching and their understanding of the gospel and of yep. church. Like it really does hit at the heart of so much of what we believe is authentic Christianity. Yep. And so I don't I don't begrudge you calling it your number one. However, I do stick to with this one. Uh, my number one is uh, a reprinting of a book from 400 years ago. 
Mm. Um, it's by John Flavel, yes. who's a Puritan pastor, and the book is called Christ and His Threefold Office. And I picked this one because I genuinely love it. I picked this book also because I think that of all the books I've mentioned, this is the one I would ask people to read before any other book on Christ. And also because I actually think this is the easiest one to read of all the books that I've mentioned. Mm. Um, but also the, the last reason I picked this, uh, well, second to last, is because this writing is representative of a whole generation in the 1600s that absolutely adored writing about how beautiful and wonderful and satisfying and comforting and powerful and gracious and merciful Jesus is. The Puritans loved writing of Jesus more than any other topic. In fact, Mm -hmm. the, the chapters of the Bible that they most often wrote about, Romans 8, John 17, Mm -hmm. uh, Hebrews in the high priestly ministries of Christ, like they absolutely adored those passages of scripture and poured over them with all of their exegetical power. Christ in his threefold office by John Flavel goes through and talks about the glory of Christ in his person talks about the the chapter titles, Admirable Love of God. This is in Sending Christ. There's a chapter entitled Christ's Wonderful Person and how he unites believers to himself by faith. And then it works through uh, the function of each of Christ's offices. It talks about what the role of a mediator is and then talks about how Christ fulfills that role perfectly in his session as a great high priest and so on, his intercessory work. It talks about the prophetic work of Christ in comparison to the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. And so I don't know of a single volume this readable that is more encouraging to the heart on just the the incredible glory of the person of Christ and the work that he accomplishes in those offices as prophet, priest, and king. Um, And if that's not a familiar category to you, the idea that Christ is a prophet and a priest and a king, and the way that he fulfills that, and the benefits to you as a believer that he he does fulfill that, then uh, you should read the gospel according to Jesus, but you also ought to read a book like Christ in his threefold office. Um, I will give you half. Half. So we split That's it. a tie. We'll need our listeners to decide the tie. So here's... Write uh, into bjaquo at communitybaptist.com <laughs> to let me know your vote, and then I'll let Pastor Joe know what yeah. you said. <laughs> don't email me directly. <laughs> don't email. Don't Go email through a mediator. Don't, don't bother him. <laughs> Just tell me that you liked my so, best. So um, I will also give an honorable mention, and beyond honorable mention, this actually wasn't on my... It's not on my shelf because it's at home on my desk is uh, Richard Sibbs Bruised Reed. Yeah, Bruised I actually Reed. thought about that when I pulled it out and yeah, was thinking about it. And then I realized, because again, this, you got to pick something that's representative of the Puritans, because you yep. really ought to do like a top 25 of Puritan books on Christ. Mm-hmm. I brought a couple of honorable mentions. There's one called A Discovery of Glorious Love, and it's just a whole book from a Puritan writer named John Durant of just how amazing the love of Jesus is. And then there's another one that's very applicational by a, a Puritan named Alexander Gross, and it's called The Happy of enjoying and making a true and speedy use of Christ. <laughs> what a title. But the whole point of it is to say, Christ is so wonderful. Yeah. Here's how you can have the glory and beauty and majesty of Christ take effect in your heart and in your soul. Yeah. Yeah, uh, incredible, incredible subject. Obviously, the glories of Christ can never be exhausted by our books, which is why we need our Bibles. We need to be in our Bibles because that's where, according to the Apostle Paul, we can see and savor the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who's the exact representation of God. Well, I hope this has been helpful. And I think if there's one thing that our listeners will take away is that of the 10 books that we've referenced, if you can only pick one, it's going to be the gospel according to Jesus. <laughs> and so 
make sure that you that you pick that up and you read through it as um and all of these you're not going to go wrong with any of these we agreed that this week on the podcast joe would get to have the last word <laughs> but see here, here's the thing i don't want somebody to listen to this podcast and get overwhelmed with how many books they haven't read oh yeah i think the most important thing is just to say okay pick a book that maybe piques your interest yeah. and they need to start they need to start first of all with our reading track start with the gospel yeah. read through that and you'll slowly work your way through our reading tracks and then if if one of these piques your interest you know get that the book on the with the different essays that MacArthur edited that that was in Ben's number 2 or or pick up the suffering savior that was yeah. my number 4 and and the short chapters and just meditate and read through and and learn to love the personal work of Christ through meditating on, on the gospel. And so hopefully, hopefully be a blessing to you. If you ever have any questions, please reach out and we can provide um, the titles of these or links to Amazon if you'd like. Um, but uh, hopefully as we meditate on uh, the gospel, that his work will become precious to us as we learn to love it and cherish it.